Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Believe in Betting Chicago. My name is Joy Christopoulos. Today's episode is brought to you by betonline.ag. The wait is finally over. The days are counting down and football is back. You might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on the action with betonline.ag. And look, guys, the Bears are three-point three underdogs right now on betonline.ag. So if you want to get in on that action, now is the time. From game spreads to totals to team, player, coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there's always that online casino as well. Guess what? It never closes. So head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all our great sign-up bonuses. Again, betonline.ag and sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Welcome to the pod, everyone. Today I have a very special guest on. The website is LAVIP Agent. L-A-V-I-P-A-G-E-N-T. And look, if you put down some money and you do well on betonline.ag, you might have the opportunity to talk to this gentleman right here. Connecting extraordinary people with extraordinary lifestyles. My guest on today's show is Luxury Concierge Services Properties Relocation with the Watson Group, Rod Watson. Rod, how are you today? And thanks for joining. Hi, hi, how's it going, man? Thanks for having me on. Oh, it's going great, man. Thank you so much for being on. Um, we had a great conversation last week. Really excited to have you on the pod today. So I'm wondering if you could maybe just start here, just give the audience a brief, um, brief little explanation or synopsis about uh, LAVIPAgent.com. Yeah, well, LAVIP Agent is a uh, lifestyle luxury real estate brand. We focus on luxury sales, acquisitions. We represent uh, high net worth professionals, uh, primarily in the sports and entertainment profession. So that includes pretty much your, your, your NBA players, star athletes, NFL star athletes. Um, and then we deal with some entertainers. I've, I've represented clients in the comedy sector and the movie sector uh, in, in, in the entertainment industry and also people that are in the backgrounds, producers, um, and then of course coaches um, and also front level office uh, individuals who work within the organizations of professional sports. So we cater to the needs of those professionals. We also provide a luxury concierge service where we focus on uh, jets, private jet service, helicopter service, uh, mansion, uh, luxury uh, concierge mansion service where someone wants to rent a property on a short term uh, stay three days to three weeks to three months. Um, and then we also provide concierge chefs and um, uh, any other private services that they uh, desire, whether that's booking restaurants, um, you know, securing venues if they need that for, for um, you know, personal uh, purposes. So that's, that's more or less our concierge service. And then, of course, we deal with the acquisitions and representing them on real estate sales, purchases, um, and investments. And per your website, you know, you've worked with athletes like Markel Fultz, Joe Johnson, saw De'Aaron Fox on there, DJ Fluker. So some of the yeah. biggest names in the sports industry. And yes. I was wondering, maybe we can dive into a little bit more about, about your story and how you've come to this place, um, you know, through your own journey. And you had mentioned previously that you are a former athlete. So I'm wondering if sure. maybe you can sort of take us, start us at that timeline of, you know, um, of being the athlete, you know, what you played, what you did in collegiately and all that stuff and, and how that sort of moved into uh, your vocation now. Oh yeah, sure. Um, you know, I, I, I grew up, you know, in the city of Houston, uh, started playing basketball at an early age, around eight, nine, 10 years old, fell in love with the sport, was fortunate enough to, you know, have been able to um, be coached by some good, co great coaches and, and, and got an opportunity to play in college. 
uh, played in college for four years, had a great experience there at San Diego Christian, which is a Division II school in San Diego, California, and then went on to play overseas for about three and a half seasons in Sao Paulo, Brazil. Took a lot of, uh, of my experiences from just that experience alone, having an opportunity to play with other professional athletes at the NBA level and college level in the summers and build relationships in that space. And, and, and that's what really helped propel me when I started my professional career in real estate um, was that I had those relationships. And then when I started realizing, you know, once I got into business, um, you know, there's a few ways you can have success. And, and, and that's from the investment side, which is always, and I think will always be there. Um, and it's something that I'm still, you know, involved in growing in. And then there's the sales side. Um, and what I saw was that the investment is a long play, right? That's where you, you're playing, you know, for, you know, you buy properties, you hold them for a decade or more. That's where real money's made. And then there's fix and flip which a lot of people are, you know, there's this fix and flip sensation right now. And I got involved in that a little bit early on in my career, but, you know, I found that the long-term play was way more valuable to me. And the sales side was where I wanted to develop my career uh, as well long-term because I saw that there was a lot of upside in representing professional athletes and entertainers, which at that particular time, when I got started in 2011, working with this particular niche audience, um, I saw that there just wasn't really any competition and, and that, you know, athletes oftentimes, you know, they just worked with whoever had the listing. Um, and I realized that, you know, if you build a presence and a name for yourself in this space and an agency that services this, this demographic that, you know, caters to that specific need, then I would have, uh, um, you know, there was a lot of upside, I guess you could say. Uh, looking at that and looking at the earnings that most agents make at the top level, you know, top producers, especially out here in California, it just made sense. So I, I you know, kind of pivoted and that's where the whole LAVIP agent brand, it, you know, really kind of launched, you know, and started. Although I guess I should say the, you know, conception of it was just that idea alone was like, look, there's this wide open field over here, get in this lane and play this lane because you know it and you have relationships in this space and, you know, don't try to go, you know, in a field or an area, I should say, where, you know, it's going to be an uphill battle your entire career to kind of break through and, 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 and get your share of the pie. And so we, 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 when I say we, my wife and I, we, we discussed it, you know, and I had a lot of support from other people. And of course I have the relationship. So I think that was a big pivoting factor for me is that I knew people that would say yes and would give me opportunities. And I just started to really focus on how do I uh, tap into that, those resources and uh, those relationships and then work to develop where I, you know, where I am today. Perhaps there's a sentiment among the casual fan who really it's kind of lost on them that, you know, when you go into becoming a professional athlete, you're not necessarily just putting down roots and just staying in one place for the next 20 to 25 years. As you mentioned in your own career, you ended up playing overseas for a time. And right. a lot of these athletes, you know, the biggest names in the world, of course, eventually they do get a chance to, to stay in one place for quite some time. And maybe that's not even the city that they live and play in. You know, there's Correct. a lot that goes into it. When a player gets traded, perhaps, there's so much going into not just what you need to do to, you know, uh, acclimate yourself on the court with your new team, but all the other, you know, all the other stuff on the back end of where they're going to live, where they're going to stay. You know, how Absolutely. do you begin to dive into a new neighborhood and a new city? And, and maybe that's where you come in and help expedite that process. Yeah. So, I mean, as you shared, <clears throat> you know, for, for professional athletes, there's a lot of things that are constantly in motion, um, moving pieces that, you know, people look at them and they're like, oh, you, you know, your, your life's perfect. You make millions of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars because all of them don't make millions of dollars. But 
they they make more money than the average individual does and people think that you know you know life life's you know pretty easy for them but when you're young most of these guys are between the age of 21 23 25 years old and they have a lot of things coming at them really fast so they have to rely on other professionals to help guide them because a lot of things they just don't know they're not familiar with so from, from a real estate standpoint you know where a player lives is huge because the more higher profile the player is, the more privacy they're going to see <clears throat> because they already have everyone in their business, everyone, you know, talking about them, whether it's on the blog, social media, if they're a star athlete and if they're a mid-level player, um, they still oftentimes, you know, need guidance on where to reside, where to live, what communities are going to best serve them and their lifestyles and their families because most of them have families. They have kids, they have wives, or they have girlfriends and significant others that they have children with. So, they want to be in neighborhoods where they can have privacy uh, in neighborhoods that are typically close to where they, you know, where the practice facility is, where they, you know, where they work out and um, also where they're good schools um, if they have kids. So those are the things that we, you know, when we, when we actually, you know, sit down with them and, you know, we advise them, the first thing we do is we ask questions, we ask questions, you know, what are the things that are important to you and your family? Um, and nine times out of 10, it's usually, hey, they want the privacy, they want to be close to the practice facility. And if they have kids, they want to be in a, in a community with good schools. And then it comes down to the type of homes, right? What type of home are you looking for? You know, do you want a property that's behind gates? Or do you want a property that is more on a lot secluded areas, you know, uh, parts of town where there's more affluent, you know, in families or individuals living. So we go through that process with them and then we help them navigate those waters to uh, actually find the ideal property that meets their demands and their lifestyle. So it's really, you know, for us, it's about being knowledgeable about what's going on in our marketplace and being able to properly advise them because that's what they seek. You know, they have professional uh, financial advisors, they've got attorneys, They've got marketing managers. I mean, they've got all of these different professionals around them that are advising them on, um, you know, how to maximize their talents, how to maximize their money, you know, um, and so on and so forth. So where we come into play is we're advisors too from a real estate perspective. So when they make that investment, you know, I always tell the players, you make your money when you buy, even though this is a home you're going to be living in, we treat it just the same as when you're investing your money in the stock market or, you know, or any other type of business ventures. We want to assess all the risk. We want to be upfront and clear about the benefits of owning a property in these particular areas or the downside of owning properties in a particular area. And that's what players seek. Oftentimes in the past, you know, one of the things that I saw is a lot of times players aren't properly represented. The agents meaning that are representing them, they just know how to sell real estate. So if they come in contact with them, it's just about, hey, what do you want to, you know, what price point are you buying in? Here's a few homes. What do you like, et cetera, et cetera. And it, it doesn't really matter. They just want to do the deal and get the transaction done. Whereas with me, it's about helping them position themselves, especially if they're buying their first property. Because in the end of the day, what we want to see is that when that player's lifestyle change, whether they get traded, whether they get cut, um, or whatever the case may be, they get a bigger contract and they're ready to move up to a better or bigger home. They have to be able to get out of that house. They have to be able to sell that property. And oftentimes that's not the case because they're not properly advised. So I take what I do very seriously. And that's been my approach since I've been in the business and to protect the best interests of our clients and make sure we're putting them in a position to win. I'm sure it moves really fast too, right? As the fan, you immediately expect, especially we're talking trades here, when a player is traded to another team, you're immediately yeah. expecting results on the court, on the field. Exactly. But then, but as a human being, the player's like, so wait, I'm getting traded where now? 
and yeah. and wait, what happened? Yeah. Wait, the practice field is is X miles away from the stadium, and and hold on a second. And, and you brought up obviously, you know, families. You know, for a lot of you know, athletes, I'm sure it's their first priority of making sure that they're settled in a good situation. And the last thing that they probably need is to be given some sort of bad advice or make a poor investment in a place when unfortunately too, as well, that athlete could be traded that very yeah. next year. Um, yeah. You know, and so th honestly, that's probably where they go to you. It seems like you get into a little bit more of the detail of, you know, you know, the marketplace better than anyone else. This isn't just, we're not Google mapping uh, nice neighborhood or whatever, you know what I mean? Like we're not Google mapping yeah. mansion or whatever. And it seems yeah. like you kind of give them, a little bit of that confidence and a little bit, Hey, we'll take it from here. You know, you give us some information and we'll sort of sort it out for you. So you can concentrate on the things that I think most fans are paying attention to when it comes to an athlete and relocation. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's about properly advising. So, you know, if a player ends up getting traded and we, we know they're on a one year deal, then it's probably not the best thing for them to buy at that particular time. You know, they may want to rent, which is what we'll probably advise them to do. And then once they get their contract, uh, with that team and they know that they're going to be there with that team you know with NBA guys they don't they don't do 10-year deals or seven-year deals anymore so they're either going to be on a two-year or five-year deal um, and depending on the amount of income that they're bringing on that two-year or five-year deal is going to determine whether or not it makes sense for them to own a property in that city um, now investment that's another thing you know if they if they're in a position where they say okay well we can look at some investment opportunities but we can still be renting while we're in the city but we want to take advantage of some opportunities because we know uh, there, there, there are some prime, you know, opportunities here for us to invest in. We'll have those discussions too as well, but it's really about being honest and upfront and advising them and making sure that, you know, we're protecting their best interests and helping them along the way in their journey into becoming, um, you know, or should I say in their journey in, into building wealth, which is, should, that should be the focus regardless at the end of the day. And you spoke of journey. If, if I may, I'd like to go back just a little bit, just kind of curious to ask you, to, I want to just maybe go back to the time when, you know, those last few years or last few days of you, you know, playing basketball and then switching over to something else, obviously the career that you have now. I just kind of want to drill into this a little bit because I think a lot of people, a lot of listeners out there are going through transition right now. And, you know, there's a lot of change going on in a lot of different people's lives. In your opinion, you know, was it, was the passion of the game or was were you feeling that there was a ceiling going on with how far that you could take basketball? Was your eye already kind of moving towards, you know, the real estate market? What was going on in your life at that time that kind of maybe opened a door up into this transition into where your life is now? Well, um, you know, when you talk about there being a ceiling, to answer that question, I, I never felt like there was a ceiling, but I think you have to be realist. You have to be realistic about you know, where you are in your career, you know, meaning, you know, I didn't have a LeBron James or a Kobe Bryant career. I didn't have the LeBron James or Kobe Bryant talent. So you have to be realistic and say, okay, you know, how far can my talent take me? And then along with that is, well, if my talent is going to take me to the NBA, then how am I going to make a living? How am I going to provide for myself? What are the things that I'm going to be focused on? What am I good at, right? What are the, you know, I didn't want to just go take a job for a paycheck. And so um, I spent a lot of years in the summer times working out and also doing camps for various coaches that I knew and one in particular, which was my mentor. And so I learned how to run coach. I learned how to run actual camps. And uh, I learned the game of, you know, basketball, even from an X's and O standpoint as a coach. And so I saw an opportunity to transition into being a coach, which I ended up coaching at the college level when I was done playing. 
I said, you know, give it, give it a try. See if it's something you like because, you know, you have the skill set. You know, I was a point guard. I understand the game. And the point guard is basically the second coach on the court. Um, and, you know, from there, as I became more familiar with the coaching process and, and what that entailed, I realized that, you know, I'm good at coaching, but it isn't something that I'm super passionate about. And during those years of coaching, uh, I had an opportunity to really start asking myself questions. You know, when you have a family, what do you want that to look like? Uh, what do you want to live? You know, do you want to be in control of your life? And if so, to what capacity and how much control do you want to have? And once I started answering those questions, I realized coaching wasn't going to give me the life that I wanted. Um, meaning that, you know, when you look at college coaching, you look at professional coaching, one, there's a lot of politics. Uh, two, you're going to spend a lot of time sitting on a bench, oftentimes as an assistant in a reserve role. You might move a lot. <laughs> might be moving yeah, a lot. That, that, might that, need LA VIP agent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's the third thing is that you have to, you know, when a coach gets fired, his staff gets fired. So that means that, you know, you either have to go where that head coach is going and they have to be willing to take you with them or you have to find new opportunities in other cities or other states. And I, that just wasn't something I wanted to do. And I didn't want to have uh, other people having that much control over my finances and how I lived and where I lived. So then I began to pivot and think about well, why, where, how and, and what type of freedom could I have outside of the game of basketball. And that's where real estate came into play. And I picked up my first course, which is called Carlton Sheets, No Money Down, How to Buy Your First Property, No Money Down. And I showed investors how to purchase properties with 100% financing at that time when it was available and being offered you know, uh, to home buyers back in the early 2000s. And uh, I jumped on it and I began to own real estate in Texas. And then from there, I realized that I wanted to have control over my life. I didn't want another man or woman or anybody for that matter telling me when I could go somewhere, when I could do something, how much money I could make. Even if it meant I struggled for a decade before I figured it out, I'd rather be on that path than have someone limiting, limiting me based upon their beliefs or whatever their business, um, um, you know, personal business or just how they did business. Or, you know, when you're working, when you're working for someone else, you know, they call the shots. And it's not that there's anything wrong with that, but for me, I, I just did not want to have someone having that much control over me. So it led me to really investigate real estate even more. And once I realized like, okay, you know, you can make money as an investor, you can make money on the sales side, you can make money on both. And there's really no limitations. It's really just like with sports, you have to develop your your, your, your craft, you have to develop your skills and the, and, the, and, and the better skills you have, the more money you make. And that, that was it for me. I realized that, okay, I can do this. And um, the other thing that motivated me is I saw there weren't very many people in the real estate arena that looked like me. And I said, well, shit, this got to change because, you know, um, you know, real estate isn't going anywhere. Coaching careers can come and go. As we know, with something like, you know, with, with an unfortunate pandemic like COVID, it can end sports at the snap of a finger, which we saw that happen, but it's not going to stop real estate. Yeah, the market might dip or go up or down, but it's never going anywhere. So, for me, it just made sense. And I thought, you know, man, just develop your skills, learn the business and everything else to take care of itself. That's awesome. And through that transition, you know, transition and change can be difficult for a lot of different people out there. You know, what advice would you give to people who are maybe going through the difficulty of a transition of maybe one career to another career? And like you said, I mean, you said it so perfectly. And, and I feel this way too as well. I mean, I've worked in the entertainment industry, right? So my, my, I'm, I'm right there with you, the exact same vibe. You know, I could struggle for a decade, but if it's something that I'm passionate about, something that I love, and again, I don't really right. like working for a boss either. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> shout, out, shout out to my good people. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. 
but you know, what could you kind of tell people, you know, it seems just like you've come out on the other side, you know, you put the hard work in, hard work in, you've met the challenge of transition and you've made yeah. it through it. What can you tell people that are maybe going through the difficulty of that right now to, you know, just encourage them to how they can get through this time? Yeah. Well, you know, one I would say is, you know, don't panic, take a step back. And, and, and first of all, know, know thyself. I mean, I think with anything in life, the key is knowing yourself and knowing what your strengths are, knowing the things that you're passionate about, and then asking yourself questions. You know, why are you doing it? You know, what's the purpose behind you pursuing a particular career or making that change? And if you truly believe that the change you're making is going to lead you towards the things you want in life, the ideal life that you're seeking, uh, the overall quality of life that you're seeking from an income standpoint to where you want to live, to the type of car you want to drive, all of those things, ask yourself, is that move going to get you to where you want to be? And uh, the other thing is be patient with the process once you know the answers to those questions and allow things to play themselves out and be committed to it. That's the biggest thing. You have to be all in. Um, and if you're not all in, then you can't expect to get the results that you're seeking because you're half-heartedly pursuing something. But if you're in that transition period where you're, you're trying to get out of maybe one career and get into your more ideal career, overall, just be patient and with the process, but be persistent and be consistent with your, you know, with your efforts in pursuing and getting to where you want to be. And that's, that's what I would advise people because that's what I went through. And that's how I, you know, dealt with my transition from getting out of a traditional, uh, you know, corporate gig to, you know, getting myself in a position where I could call my own shots. I mean, it took time, but I actually had a plan of action. And that's the last thing I'll say is that once you identify what it is you want, and the things you want to accomplish in life, have a, have a plan, like actually sit down and write out your goals and have a plan on how you're going to accomplish those things and what are the things you're going to commit to and what sacrifices you're going to make to get there and then just be willing to take action. Yeah, the sacrifices that you're willing to take to get there and also patient with the process. Yeah. You know, it's funny, the process, it can be frustrating. It can feel yeah. eternal at times. Sometimes, yep. you know, you have these deadlines and these goals and sometimes they're not being met, but somehow the process is still gradually working at the same time. You know, how funny yeah. is it too, that like you can be stuck in that place, but you know, once you've gotten to a certain place, when you look back upon that process, it is awfully fulfilling when you start looking at all the work and no matter how long it takes or whatever, you can really start to drill in and, and feel that fulfillment of, you know, I really put something in there and I was able to achieve a goal. Yeah, it's, it, in the beginning, it's hard to see, right? You know, those things that you want to pursue and you want to accomplish, you know, you can visualize it, but sometimes it's hard to really, you know, see it. So you have to trust that process. But once you get there and you achieve it, then you have to take a step back and celebrate those milestones and really look at, you know, the steps and the process you had to go through and look at the time that it took. And I think when you look at it from that perspective, then it helps you understand it. It helps you, you know, remove that anxiety or that nervousness about as you continue on your journey um you, you you begin to trust the process even more because you realize okay i've accomplished this and if i can do that if i overcame those things if i got through that if i made it to this point after dealing with all those obstacles then it, you know your mindset then becomes okay the journey is never going to be easy but it, it will be worth it in the end because you're pursuing what you want and then once you have once you accomplish those things then you know you can begin to have more confidence in your ability overall yeah, and sometimes you look back and all the different little challenges along the way sort of prepare you for further future successes. And, yeah. you know, so sometimes when, when stuff doesn't go your way or when shit hits the fan, sometimes it is something that is trying to prepare you 
for a more important challenge somewhere along the way. I do want to ask you real Absolutely. quick. Um, you know, there's a lot of athletes. I'm just kind of, I'm kind of feeling for collegiate athletes right now. We're not really sure what their schedule is going to look like. They're going to try and maybe play in the spring, but you know, there's a lot of seniors out there that were, you know, maybe even banking on going pro, maybe even thinking about playing, you know, semi-pro playing overseas, like you were talking about. And, you know, for them, you know, their respective sport has been their lives. And you hear stories all yeah. the time about how athletes can sometimes feel lost when their sport is taken away from them. What advice yeah. would you give to, you know, the young 20-something athlete right now, you know, maybe looking at their career and sort of asking themselves, do I have, can I have this future in sports? Can I reach my dream? Because honestly, there's so many other things that people have in life that are skills. Not everyone is one-dimensional. You know, not, you know, yeah. because you play a sport doesn't mean you can't be successful at other things. What advice would you just give Absolutely. to athletes right now about, you know, just keeping your eyes open to other avenues and other prospects in life that maybe go beyond just playing the game? Yeah, well, I would say one, what everything that's going on, understand it is temporary. You know, uh, there's this disruption due to the pandemic of COVID-19 and know that that's not going to always be here. But in the meantime, continue to develop your skills continue to work towards accomplishing your goals, but also be open and uh, take this time period to, to really, you know, ask yourselves the questions that, okay, uh, if I don't reach my goal, you know, what are the other things that I'm interested in or what are the things that I'm great at and how can I start developing relationships with, with individuals in those spaces right now so that, you know, in the event things don't work out, I have individuals I can turn to that I can reach out to that I can make connections with because I've already laid the foundation to developing those relationships. So what I would say is, you know, take advantage of <clears throat> any opportunities to develop relations with people that are in the spaces that you one day aspire to have, even if it's post career, right? You may still be successful and go on and have that great professional career, but that ball is going to stop bouncing or that ball is going to stop being thrown or whatever. Those downs are no longer going to take place and you have to figure out, you know, what are you going to do post-career, no matter how much money you make? Because you can still make $50 million or make $100 million, but at the end of your career, at 30 or 35, you still got a lot of life ahead of you. And yeah, that money might be able to sustain you, <clears throat> but you're still going to have to find things to do that hold your interests and things that you're passionate about that, that when you wake up in the morning, you feel great about what you're doing. So I would say take the time while we're in this down period to develop relationships. And really, um, you know, search yourself and ask yourself questions about the things that you want to do uh, should it not work out a post-career. Yeah, and I, I think it goes without saying to always try and treat everyone that you encounter with respect. But also, you know, I think, you know, I think kindness and treating someone in a professional way goes a really long, long way. I'll just tell you in the comedy Absolutely. industry. You know, you do yeah. a show with some comedians and you walk off and you're like, oh, that wasn't funny. And then 10 years later, yeah. they're doing they're doing stuff that you wouldn't believe. Right. Everyone's success comes at a different time, Absolutely. not exactly the same time as yours. And you never know who you may cross paths with, you know, later on in life. If you are the leading scorer on a basketball team, yeah. the 12th man <clears throat> could one be the, be the dude running a business that you're going to be working. You know what I mean? Like, it's just funny how that shit sort of comes Absolutely. full circle on you. So. It's always important yeah. to, like you no, said, continue true. to maintain relationships. Yep, I agree 100%, you know, and treat people the way you want to be treated because, as you stated, you just never know what door you might have to walk through later in life, and those people might have the keys or the ability to open or close those doors for you. Rod, thank you so much for joining. We're going to get you out of here on this. You know, remember, everyone, LAVIPagent.com. 
Uh, can we just talk some? You want to talk some basketball? You want to talk some football for a second? You know, what's what's your sport of choice? What do you Absolutely. got? Your, what do you got your eyes on right now? When the, when the night is over, what are you watching at night? Uh, well, you know, I don't watch a lot of TV, but I do. I have been watching NBA playoffs. I'm uh, big on basketball, so um, I've been watching. You know, the the first and second round of the playoffs. I watch majority of the season in the bubble, so. I'm a big basketball fan. I still try to catch as many games as I possibly can. Yeah, my question for you is, it is just so funny, right? Like maybe four or five days ago, we were like, the Raptors are toast. Yeah. And somehow in that .5 seconds, they get that next breath of life, and then they tied the series. You know, Celtics-Raptors tied it too. Who do you like moving forward? Because the momentum, the pendulum swing has definitely shifted in that series. Yeah, well, I mean, it goes to show the importance of execution. I thought, you know, as as great as the Celtics played in those first two games, they had an unbelievably, you know, they failed. I mean, it was from, and that's on coaching. That's not just the players. That's the coaches. I mean, there's no way in hell you leave a guy open in a corner where you got two guys guarding one man, and you can't fucking figure out that there's five people on the floor. And 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 you know, the Celtics aren't a new team to the playoffs. They played in the playoffs the last three or four years with these group of guys. So. I thought that was a huge area, and that goes to show when momentum swings, it swings fast. So, you know, you're talking about defending NBA champs. They, you know, when you got a champion on the ropes, you got to knock his ass out. You can't play around with it, and, and the Celtics are now realizing. I think, unfortunately, they're going to lose this series because at the end of the day, the Raptors are battle-tested. Um, they don't have a superstar player, but they've got some players that play play at a star level all collectively, and that's the thing that I love about them in particular is that they don't rely on one or two guys to, to carry a load. All five guys on the floor are important, and they move the ball well, and they get good shots. They just didn't play well in those first two games, and now you see the series is tied 2-2, which gives them a whole breadth of confidence and reassures them now that, um, you know, they can take advantage and go up in this series 3-2 today if they, you know, come out and play well and play the way that they've been playing that got them to the NBA Finals last year, which – I think, you know, early on, you know, the Celtics were just making a lot of shots and the Raptors struggled and, and their offense got really disrupted. But the game of basketball is about matchups, right? And it's about, you know, the duration, of, especially when you're playing a series, you know, you got seven games. So you take it one game at a time. And I think that's the approach that the Raptors have been taking. Now the Celtics, the, now, you know, the question is, is how they're going to respond. You got a young team that's never really won collectively as a unit. They don't know what championship caliber or championship caliber of play is really like. So it's going to come down to the coaches being able to prepare them and then the players being able to go out and execute the game plan. But I think based upon what I've seen thus far, the momentum has shifted to Toronto and Toronto has the experience and typically the experience wins in the end. It's going to be interesting to see, right? Like you were right. Celtics completely had them on the ropes. If they had gone up three <laughs> Oh, you know, you just have to think by sure mathematics that the Raptors oh, yeah. are going to have a hard time coming. Yeah, Sears would be yeah. over, right? But now that yeah. it's 2-2, you know, I'm thinking of two things. One, you know, it's going to be really hard to go. It's going to go tit for tat, right? So it feels like it's going to end up in a Game 7 situation. If it goes yeah. Game 7, I would definitely trust the Raptors' championship medal, Kyle Lowry, yeah. Van Vliet, you know, I mean, even like yeah. guys like Ibaka and Gasol coming off the bench figuring it out. My only yeah. thing that I'm thinking about, though, is, you know, Kemba was talking – you know, he, he didn't get up a lot of shots in the last game. And I know he's got the knee situation, but it's been a little while since we've seen that Kemba Walker 42-point yeah. performance, yeah. you know, literally taking the ball yeah. from the top of the key and making plays all fourth quarter. That's the only reason – that's the only way I really kind of see maybe the Celtics squeaking that one out. Yeah, well, I mean, that's, but that goes back to what I'm saying. Now you're relying on one guy to bail you out. 
versus whereas the Raptors, they don't play that way. Um, yeah, it didn't all, work for know, the Jazz. Yeah, and all, all five all five guys, are, you know, when they're on the floor, they understand their roles and they're able to either knock down shots or get high percentage shots. Um, and I think that's where the Raptors have the advantage because they've been battle tested. They've been there before and they've won a championship off the style of play that they're winning. Whereas the, I think the Celtics, you know, you got a new guy in Kimball Walker who's trying to find himself and find his place within that team as a first year guy. And now he's in a position where he is carrying a low, you know, he has pressure on him to perform at that position and, and, and to put up specific numbers. And then you got another young guy, Jason Tatum, who is now in his third year. And there's a lot of pressure on him because, you know, he's in a contract year. And then you got, you know, the pressures of, is he going to be a superstar or not? And you got Jalen Brown. So there's a lot of guys that are trying to, I guess, more or less earn their stripes and show that they're, you know, uh, a key, you know, go-to guy in that first option, if you will. And that's going to be tough. I mean, for a guy like uh, Kimball Walker, who has played with the Charlotte Hornets, you know, for so many years in a, in a basically more or less losing role, and now you're on a team where you're in the playoffs and now it's a do-or-die series, that's a lot of pressure. I think the, the, the Raptors, they don't have any pressure. They've shown, okay, we come down from a 2-0 deficit. So Kimball Walker, is, I think for him, my, my mindset would be is to make sure I'm getting my guys involved and uh, we keep the pressure up on the defensive end and we just trust the process on the offensive end and keep the ball, ball moving. And, and, and you're going to get shots. And you just it's a difference. Are you going to make those shots or are you going to capitalize, you know what I mean, on those opportunities? So it's going to be interesting, but I, I still feel like the, the momentum is now shifted to Toronto and there's really not much the Celtics are going to be able to do. Go to the West real quick. Maybe we'll keep it simple here. You know, the Nuggets and the Rockets, you know, Ruggets, the Rockets have actually been playing pretty well. Between the Clippers and the Lakers, you know, which one do you think has, you know, their shit together most? I mean, it's really hard to tell. You know, the Lakers aren't playing great basketball. And then the Clippers, you know, one game they play great. The next game they don't play super great. Everyone keeps talking about them continuously trying to gel and, and chemistry issues. And, and are they the championship team that yeah. turns the switch on and off? You know, which one do you think is in better shape right now out of the two L.A. teams? Uh, Tom, man, I, would I know. Lakers because I look, look yeah. I would, I would say the Lakers. I mean, it's, it's tough as far as being in shape. I think both teams are in shape. I think it's just a matter of um, fourth quarter conditioning, right? Um, and that's that's the difference maker. Whereas the Lakers, you know, LeBron spends a lot of money and time training. And so he's always in shape. And I, he always is able to perform at a high level in the fourth quarter. He's shown that in multiple final series throughout his career. Uh, Anthony Davis, I think the same with him. He's in great shape. And um you know, as far as the, the the Clippers go, it's those core guys that I think are going to have to really step up if those two teams end up meeting each other in the finals. The games will be won in the third and the fourth quarters. And I also think in the first quarter, you know, you know, when you talk about being conditioned, how you start the, the first quarter is really important. And you're seeing that a lot. The teams that are up early in series have really played well in the first and third quarters the Lakers they haven't really played great in the third quarters and that's my concern is how they come out and start third quarters but overall I think both teams are in great shape I just think it's going to come down to the bench players if those two teams meet because the star players are going to cancel each other out I mean they're going to do what they're going to do from night in and night out um, it's just the conditioning in the fourth is going to tell tell it's going to be the telltale sign and I think the Lakers might have that advantage because they have size 
Rod, thank you so much for coming on the pod on Believe in Betting Chicago today. Again, yep. lavipagent.com, connecting extraordinary people with extraordinary lifestyles with the Watson Group. Rod Watson, thank you so much for coming on, man. And, uh, you know, yep. we'll, we'll, hopefully we'll stay in touch, but maybe we'll get you back on the pod someday too as well. Hey, man, thanks for having me on. Definitely appreciate it and wishing you well and much success in your endeavors. And, uh, you know, until next time, you have a great day. Oh, I appreciate you, man. Guys, thank you so much for listening to this episode. This was Believe in Betting Chicago with Joey Krasopoulos. We're coming back with a whole lot more content and material. Today's episode was brought to you by betonline.ag. Until then, we will talk to you soon. Be safe, be good, be kind to each other, and we'll talk then. All right, later. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.